What the Beep Do You Know About Learning English is a podcast for intermediate to advanced learners of English. And some teachers might find it interesting too. The podcast aims to provide different perspectives on teaching and learning English, and at the same time develop our listeners' English skills. In this episode, we speak with Christian of Kanguro English, a popular teaching English YouTube channel. We talk about teaching English in an abandoned building, the best English course in the world, and a whole lot of BS. Okay, let's start rioting. segment we find out about our teachers origin story or where they got their teaching superpowers from so christian saunders what the beef do you know about teaching english <laughs> um well um i suppose you you probably want to know about about how i first became a teacher right yes um, that's right i think i saw a long time ago in one of your videos you're a magician did that did that link into <laughs> teaching english no, I think the magician only links into teaching English because to be a teacher, you have to um, like to be the center of attention um, uh-huh. and you have to be a bit of a probably slightly egotistical um, <laughs> and you have to also be able to sort of maybe control the audience and keep their attention. So, yeah, maybe there's some, um, there's some crossover between being a magician and being an English teacher, maybe. <laughs> um, but but no, I mean I I stopped doing magic when I was um, I don't know maybe maybe seventeen or eighteen. That was like mm-hmm. being a magician was my was my first job, um, and 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 I suppose all, all of my life I was interested in in computers. So my, my dad worked for the government, and he always had um, like the latest computers that that the government had spent lots of money on, and he would bring them home, and, and I would I would play with them. Um, and so I got into, and then I got interested in films. So I sort of the combination of, of making movies and the, the, like the very first uh, digital editing, com, you know, on computers, you could edit movies mm-hmm. together, which was really exciting. And so I started playing around with that. And then I sort of got sidetracked into into doing lots of other different jobs. So I did some like 3D animation. I did some some motion graphics, I did graphic design, I did some programming. And then, um, and then I, I met my, um, my, the woman who's now my wife, and I moved to, to Australia, to London, sorry. I worked in London for, for, for seven years as, as a graphic designer. Um, but then, you know, I'm from Perth in Australia, which is a small town, was a small town <laughs> um, at that stage. And you know, I, uh, for me, London was just too, it was too impersonal and um, very stressful. And I was commuting every day for hours and it just wasn't for me. You know, I'm, I'm just not a city, a city person. So moved back to Australia for a while and, and, and then decided that Australia was maybe a little bit too, a little bit too safe and needed more of a challenge. And so um, I moved to Spain, and and that's where my my teaching story begins. Because because before that before that time, I had no interest in teaching. I knew nothing about teaching. I knew nothing about languages. I was a monolingual English speaker. Um, and and then I came here, and I was living in a caravan, 
It's a long story. I was living in a caravan. <laughs> and, and one of our neighbors came, came knocking and said, listen, I've got an English exam. You're, a, you're an English speaker. I need your help. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, sure. And um, so, yeah, I started just teaching classes at the, with some local people and it, it just grew from there. And, and now 10 years later, um, here I am. <laughs> You were yeah. teaching your first school was in the caravan or not? Uh, well, well, actually, there's there's like um, there's like an, uh, no, there, there wasn't enough room in the caravan to do classes. Um, I, I used to teach in this <laughs> abandoned building. <laughs> it's difficult to sort of describe it. Here, where I live in, in the north of Spain, it's very um, rustic, very rural. So, you know, there's like abandoned buildings and cows and you know, fields. And so, yeah, I was, I was teaching out, out in the middle of nowhere for, for, for a few years. <laughs> yeah. And then I suppose moving on to YouTube, that, that was sort of shifting back then to where you originally started with your first few jobs. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how, how I mean, personally, I believe that, you know, a great way to find what you want to do in life is to just try lots of different things. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I did that, like, apart from working as a graphic designer, like I, I did lots of different jobs. Like I was a bicycle courier, I was a gardener, a builder, um, um, all, all sorts of things. And, and none of them really gave me any great satisfaction. Like I did, I did them for money. Um, but then, you know, like when I was, I didn't discover what I wanted to do with my life until I was, until I was like 31, which I think for a lot of people, you know, they would say, well, you know, your life is pretty much not that your life is over, but your your opportunity to have a career is kind of over when you're when you're thirty, right? Um, mm. I think that's how most people sort of think. Um, but for me, it was just the beginning, and now you know, I, I'm addicted to to teaching, and I'm addicted to, to to language, and it's it's just I just feel lucky to to have found my my passion. Yeah, lucky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really comes through in your sort of YouTube videos, <laughs> and and what with the topics, how do you go about you know choosing like what you're going to talk about in your videos to your audience? <laughs> well, I, I think um, like so I, I first started in 2014, and I wanted to be like the the most correct, the most uh, comprehensive, the most um, by the book um, sort of scientific teacher on on YouTube, right? I didn't. And that was my sort of goal. But then, but then I realized that over time, it took me years to, to realize this, that, that really people don't need that because there's already so much of that out there. And, and I also began to realize that really language, language isn't about rules. Language is like actually the opposite of rules. Um, and, and so I, I started to move more towards teaching about, about like how to learn about the psychology of learning, about motivation, um, and, and more, more um, maybe you could say more abstract topics. And, and I, at the moment, there's there's no structure. I, I just make videos about whatever just happens to just fascinate me at, at the time, which 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 might not be a great way to to go about structuring uh, learning, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely what you talk about with. I find the longer I've been a, t- a teacher, the more it sort of is shifting away from, you know, talking about grammar or the specifics of 
pronunciation, which is important still, but it's more moving into that, as you said, like learning how to learn or, or motivation and that sort of research behind it, I think it's really important. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I remember when, when I first started teaching, you know, I would, if there was a student who came to me who had maybe a very low level of English, you know, they would come to class and, and I would just pound them with, with grammar. We'd just sit and do the grammar book. We'd do like um, English grammar in use and we'd do the worksheets. And, and um, there was kind of two, there was two reactions. The first one was either they would come to one class and they would never come back because <laughs> it's just, it's overwhelming and, and there's no joy in, in, in doing that, you know. Um, or, or, or the second thing is, you know, they would continue to come, but, but you know, you, you, don't, you don't really advance by doing that, um, you, know, you you get really good at at doing worksheets, but it doesn't really help you to to communicate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so recently, you've set up um, the humbly called the best English course in the world. <laughs> <laughs> How did that all come about? <laughs> well, uh, well, the, the the name originally well originally it didn't have a name, but <laughs> as as a, as a joke between between the people between um, the people who are working on the project, I was always saying, man, this is going to be the best English course in the world. And then <laughs> eventually they, they said, uh, let's just call it that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I got an email last year from, from this Italian company uh, called Fluentify who, who, who at the moment they, they, they do like one-on-one classes, um, like, like a bit like... Um, uh, what's that other website where you can sort of pay to be with a teacher for an like hour? Italki. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like Italki. They they do that, but um, but everybody is is a is a is a teacher, like a qualified teacher, and okay, you know, they have more. It's it's more sort of you could say professional and structured, mm-hmm. um, and and they deal mainly with with business to business courses, and they contacted me and said we we want to make a a video course because at the moment we can't. We, we can't do it at scale and we want to maybe, you know, teach like 10,000 business people or whatever. That, that's just my, that's my number, by the way. I don't know how many, I don't know how many people they're, they're actually going to, 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 to teach. Um, and, and yeah, and I, and I said, look, you know, if, if we're going to do this, let's do something that nobody's ever done before. Let's do something really revolutionary. Um, and so the course is different because, um, it doesn't. It, it does have grammar and it has vocabulary and and all that. But it talks more about philosophy of learning. It's a lot more open. Like every every unit has open tasks where you can you're basically set free to to work on your own. It's more about you know because and I, and I say this during the course. You know, is that it's 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 eighteen weeks the course. But when you finish the course, you're not going to come out fluent because you can't get fluent in eighteen weeks and you know, it's more realistically. It's more just about pushing you to 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 sort of find the joy in language, so that then you can spend the next ten or twenty or thirty years doing it on your own or mm. continuing. Yeah. So, um, and and, so and building the, the platform for them. Yeah. To, to yeah. Yeah. Get exactly. Lift like, them off on their language journey. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because I I think in my experience that that's what people need. Um, and that's what people, well, I, I think that's what people need to be successful um, at, at learning a language. Um, 
and and the, the amazing the amazing thing about the the, the course f- for me was that that the company Fluentify they agreed to give it away for free to all of my 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 followers so there's like 10,000 people who are doing the the course for free and you know there I I owe them a debt of gratitude for for doing that so yeah and it fits in with you have your philosophy of make English fun and free so <laughs> um, I'm sure a lot of students your followers yeah benefited by doing that course um, if students want to do it in the future, can they can they still enrol and, and pay for it if they want to get into it? Um, no, at, at the moment the course is closed. Um, I don't know when or if it will open again in the future. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, don't and know. If, but if the students want to follow you personally, what's the best way for them to uh, well, know, get your uh, lessons? Yeah, yeah uh, I have a website, um, kangarooenglish.com which is just basically links to all of my things. Um, so I have a YouTube channel, podcast, uh, f- Facebook group, Instagram, you know, all the usual social media stuff. Yeah. People, I mean, uh, you, you, you know what it's like um, in, in 2019, you have to be, you have to be everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Across uh, multiple platforms. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> and you have to do it all yourself. You have to be like a, like a God, right? <laughs> yeah i'm afraid my godlike powers aren't working too too well yet <laughs> um oh one more thing in this segment i i remember in 2017 you did a uh dictionary reading marathon do you have any plans for 2019 for world teacher day yes um unfortunately last year i couldn't do it because i was working on this fluentify project and it was impossible for me to um I just wasn't in the right mindset. I was a bit of a mess, actually. Yeah. But but yes, this year I'm going to be doing the dictionary again. I'd like to make it a tradition, um, and yeah, because because I think that you know giving back is what just makes you feel good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, everything's interconnected. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh... Yeah, it'd be cool uh, to see that happening again. Uh, though you'll have to wear some special, I don't know, protection for the side of your mouth because I remember reading that you uh, um, <laughs> felt quite, uh, I don't know, sore from reading so many words. Yeah, yeah, you, it, it's incredible, yeah, but the the actual mechanical friction of your, like, tongue rubbing on your teeth and your cheeks, it, it hurts when, when, you, when you read for that long. And I didn't realise that was, I didn't realise that was a thing. <laughs> No, I didn't realize either. <laughs> you should oh, try right. it. Yeah, it's great fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can get the school involved with the with the 2019 version. Sure, I'd love to. I'd love to have you involved. Our second segment is called "Study Tip of the Iceberg," where we find out our guests' top language learning tips. So, Christian, what's the secret to English success? <laughs> I, I I think that. Um, the, the secret is that that there is no secret, <laughs> <laughs> and and if anybody says that they do have the secret, then they're lying, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think anyone has told me the secret, so I haven't had any guests lying on the program yet. <laughs> no, well, that's good. That that's a positive thing. I mean, um, you know, if 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 you look at, I mean, there's two there's two places that you could look for evidence of of. Um, how to be successful at learning a language and and one place you could look is you could look at polyglots you know people who are Mm -hmm. really successful at um learning not just one but maybe you know 10 or 15 languages 
Um, and, and if you if you talk to them, you know, they'll tell you that they all have different ways that they that they learn. You know, some of them go to, to go to like classes to learn. Some of them will uh, prefer to sort of dive into the grammar. Some people prefer to to not speak at all for for months and months and just read and listen. Um, so everybody has their own sort of way of learning. Um, and and so, you know, so that's one place you could look. And a second place you could look is you could look at what what the science sort of tells us about learning languages. And and again, um, in general, the, there is no one curriculum to follow. There's no one best way to learn a language. The the only thing that you can that you can really say as a general rule um, that that you need to be successful is you is you actually have to use the language. There's no substitute for using a language. Um, and and that's why, I mean, I don't know what it's like where you are in, in Thailand. Like, I don't know what it's like in the, in the public education system, but, mm -hmm. um, but here it's, it's here in Spain, it's, it's quite common to, to find students who are great at doing worksheets, who know the difference between all of the different verbal tenses, uh, great vocabulary, but just can't have a conversation just can't put it together. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, it's similar with the school system here. It's more sort of teaching to the test and it's all, um, yeah, that grammar-based stuff. Though there are some sort of, you yeah, know, movements at the moment in trying to produce a more, you know, output-based one where they're speaking and writing and doing stuff in English. Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible how how that is sort of not already the normal thing to do. I mean, you know, the... I think the problem is that in a lot of places, like la learning a language is sort of lumped in with other subjects like maths and maybe um, maths and maybe other sciences, you know, hard sciences, mm. um, where where things are right and wrong and where things are more formulaic. You know, you need to 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 to, to have logic, but but lang language is is the complete opposite to that. You know, language is about um, is, is is more art. You know, we should be studying language the same way that we study things like philosophy or or painting. It needs to be more more music. Even probably music's the best the best um, an analogy. You know, it should be more about actually playing the instrument rather than you know. I mean, no, no nobody is going to go to piano class and just read books about pianos and never touch a piano. That's just stupid. Like no one would do that. But that's what that's what kids do at school. They'll, they'll go to English class and they'll read all the English books and they'll never actually use the instrument. That's just crazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and the sort of government locks it in with the their style of testing and stuff like that, and wonder why nobody can actually use the language. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think definitely um, examinations are a big part of the a big part of the problem. And I mean, I, I I understand the need for examinations. I mean, of course, we, you know, as teachers and and as and as um, you know, the government, they, they need to know if children are learning. Totally understand. You know, we need to know if if it's if we're being effective. But you know, there's one thing to to, to measure um, success, and there's another thing to, as you said, where you where you only teach to the test. You know, you're just teaching people to, to pass those exams and that's just a, a terrible combination. Um, 
And in fact, I don't know if you know, but but back in 1990, I'm not sure, maybe maybe 1995, a group of researchers went into primary schools in Chicago, and mm-hmm. they took away all of their curriculum, like all of their textbooks and their workbooks, and they gave them open open activities, like instead of like in English class, instead of giving them an activity sheet like here's a text, find the adjectives, find the verbs, um, you know, uh, draw a sentence tree. They took all that away and they, they gave them tasks like write an opinion about something you feel strongly about and convince someone that, that your opinion is correct. And, and then at the, at the end of this, 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 this experiment, when they tested the kids, the ones who, who, who weren't actually using the curriculum did way better in their exams. So yeah, I haven't heard about that research, but it sounds yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's just it's just evidence that that ironically, teaching to the test. You know, you think that it's that it's helping you to pass exams and to do better, but it's actually having it's having the opposite effect. With a previous guest, they, they talked about I think um, you know meaningful repetition. I suppose and trying to tie in your your passions in life. I suppose is a little bit what you do with your channel and things. You tie that in so if students can try to do that, tie in their own passions and learn English at the same time, could be a platform to be more successful in English. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, if if a teacher comes into class and like, for, for example, imagine you're, it's, it's early on in your English class and you're trying to teach them present continuous versus present simple. And you know, the teacher could say, right, everybody open your workbooks to page four and let's read this, this little short story about two kids from some high school in America, for example, right? Or the teacher can come in and say, okay, guys, today we're going to learn about present simple, present continuous. Now, what, are, what, are, what is the story we're going to learn about? And the kids go, oh, well, um, you know, I like football or uh, I, I want to learn about how to use how to use it when I'm playing Fortnite or I want to know about, you know, when I'm talking about sharks because I love sharks. And so suddenly, you know, you're making the language relevant to, to their lives. Well, then, well, then it, it stops being something abstract that you just, you know, read about in a book and it starts becoming, you know, uh, something you, you actually use, right? It's like more meaningful. I'm so, sorry if I'm uh, rambling. <laughs> no, please talk on. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think, as you said, um, you know, teachers are under pressure to get their children to to pass exams and to to, to do well in 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 the from an examination perspective. Um, but you know that that has to change. We need other ways to to measure success. You know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of the most successful lessons I think I have is sort of like you know, like through storytelling and then the students sort of engage with the story and then through that, you know, you, you can bring up, you know, other points, you know, about vocabulary or grammar and stuff like that rather than starting with the grammar and then <laughs> going that way. It's sort of, yeah, start with their interests. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's just that simple, you know. It's like, it's like, it's like learning anything. Um, really, you have to, you know, first you have to try your best to, to, to spark interest. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm also a practical person. I mean, I realize that 
that that some people are just more interested in languages than others, and that that's normal. It's like some people are interested in I don't know woodworking or cars <laughs> or whatever. But you know, we still have to do our best to to try and to try and inspire something, right? <laughs> This segment is Language Unmasked. We find out about our guests' own experiences of learning a second language. So, Christian, could you tell us a bit about your own language learning journeys? Uh, sure. Well, I studied French at high school for five years. And, and, and at the end of high school, I remember I went to the final, the final exam. So this was... In Australia, it's called the, the TEE. So it's the exam mm-hmm. that you have to do before you get into university. Um, and it was, so it was TEE, French, and I had to go to the University of, of Perth to do the exam with a, with a real native French uh, speaker who would assess my level of French. And I remember I, I, I got there and, and I said my name and I you know, je m'appelle Christian. And then I said that I'd been, <laughs> I'd been studying French for five years. I think I said that. And that was it. That was all I could say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but, but my experience learning French in Australia at high school is very similar to a lot of people's experience um, when, they, when they learn languages at school. You know, they, 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 they go to class and they, they do the stuff, but they don't, really learn anything so you know so between the ages of of like 18 when I finished high school until I was 31 when I moved here I I didn't think about foreign languages Um, I lived in Australia and and England I I had no need for foreign languages Um, and so yeah never it was just not something that I was sort of interested in it wasn't on, on my radar but then when I moved here um uh, we, uh, I, we, I started going to language class. I went to language class with, with an American, with an American um, teacher who'd been living here in Spain for, for a long time, I think 20 years, and, and she was married to, to a Spanish guy. So her Spanish was really excellent, um, re- really excellent. And so we had class with her, but, but, and again, you know, I didn't know anything about languages back then. And, and when we went to classes with her and we went, we went to classes with her, me, me and my wife, f- for about about six months, and yeah, we we just we had a we had a workbook. We we did a workbook again with her, um, and so that was my my second experience with learning a language. And I didn't I didn't really enjoy the classes. I was lazy. I didn't do any homework that she gave us. Um, I suppose I just didn't, you know, I didn't really see the point very much. Um, and, and this is, you know, this is only quite recently, really, for me. Uh, but then, but then, um, when I started, when I started actually teaching people English, you know, when you're in class, and I'm sure you have this, the same experience, you know, when you're in class, people ask you, well, what does that mean? How, or how do you say that in in Spanish? Or how do you say that in Thai? Right? Mm-hmm, um, yeah. So you 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 learn. I learned in that way how to speak Spanish because I was basically, people would ask me, what does this word mean? How do you say that sentence? Um, how, how can I translate present continuous into, into, into Spanish? So all of the Spanish that I know ha- has been learnt completely indirectly. <laughs> um, 
but but I remember like I, so I you should be paying your students then yeah <laughs> I know so th- there's a secret for anybody listening if you, if you want to learn a language if you want to learn English go and teach somebody your language your native language <laughs> um but but I, I mean I, I I remember and it's actually quite easy to forget but but I remember um going out with with friends because you know when we moved here we met friends who were Spanish who didn't speak English and we would go out and after being out for two or three hours like your whole brain just hurts from the effort the enormous effort of trying to communicate in in another language it's just so hard <laughs> it's really yeah, it hard. definitely is a workout it, when you study a second language you definitely feel a lot more empathy for what your students are going through yeah it's true i mean you know there, there, there are some there are some teachers who say that unless you've learned a second language you don't know anything about you you know you shouldn't be teaching and, and i personally i think that's just ridiculous because um you know your, your ability to teach has no bearing on whether you speak a second language or not you know um but but i think it as you said it, it does help you to develop a sense of empathy right with your students yeah for for sure with that um for me i sometimes think i i should because i'm i still see my tie as being like unsuccess being an unsuccessful language learner so there's something at the back of my mind i feel like to count myself as a being a good teacher i need to successfully um, learn a second language to like a maybe a fluent fluency level but now you, you've told me I, I don't need to I'm gonna <laughs> burn my Thai language books and, and put my time elsewhere well you know I think I think it's the same it's the same debate as as you know people who say that you should only be teaching English if you're a native English speaker well mm. no I mean there are brilliant non-native English teachers brilliant you know and and there are terrible 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 native English teachers you know um your, your ability as a teacher has no has no relation to how many languages you speak or or you know whether you're from New York instead of Texas it's just you know because because like we were talking about before you know half of teaching is is sometimes just being able to even control the class, <laughs> you know? Um, and then once you've done that, it's about motivating them and inspiring them and, 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 and you know, sh- showing them that, that language is, is, you know, a thing to be used. And, and so that, that, that is much more important than all the other stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've, when we first opened, like, our school in, in Thailand, yeah, we weren't sure, like, the perceptions of some parents were that they didn't want to learn from a you know, like a non-native speaker. Um, but over time, once they trusted us, it, it didn't really become an issue and they saw that their children were benefiting. It, they sort of got carried along and now that now they don't care where the, where the teacher comes from, which is uh, good. Yeah, so, so you, you have some teachers who are not natives at your school? Yeah, basically all except for myself. Yeah, all my teachers recently have just come from... Oh, no, not recently. I mean, for the last four years, I've said pretty much non-native speakers. Um, and all the time, the, the non-native speakers, as, as you said, I mean, they come in with often better qualifications with masters in teaching English and all, all, all this other stuff. And they bring a lot more than, say, someone who's just done the four-week course or, or something like that and doesn't yes, have too exactly. much experience. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that, um, that that should be a great example to, to other 
to other um, schools and 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 you know I think I think it can be complicated because as you said it's about perception right the perception of the people who are actually paying for the classes and they're the ones you have to convince right yeah yeah um, yeah but once they I think as I said once they saw the results if they and they stayed with us in the beginning then um, it hasn't been a problem it's this sort of positive word of mouth and that then begins to spread um, and with your language experience, I often ask our guests, have you ever had any embarrassing or uncomfortable situations in your second second language? Because often I find students can sort of retreat into their shells if they have a embarrassing moment in English. So we try to sort of normalise this and say, you know, it's okay to have these problems in a second language. <laughs> well, uh, look, I, I have I have made and I continue to make hundreds if not thousands of mistakes when I speak Spanish, um, and and they they absolutely don't bother me at all. Um, I'm I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you should just accept your mistakes and be happy with them. We should always try to improve your language ability, but mistakes are actually part of the process. And pr- pr- probably my 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 worst experience was so so we just we just opened the school the actual physical school, like my own school. So we'd, we'd been open for about maybe a year, maybe less, mm-hmm. maybe six months. And I had this group of, this group of children. Uh, they were probably about six years old. And, and one of the mothers had previously taught me the word in Spanish for spoiled. So mm-hmm. if I wanted to say that the kid was spoiled, I could, I could just use the Spanish word. And the Spanish word for spoiled is, um, is uh, mimada. Mimada, mm-hmm. right? Um, quite a sort of simple word to learn, right? It's a few syllables. It's got this nice sound about it. Something to do with like, you know, the the, the mother, the mama, so the, you know, mimada. And I was like, okay, I've got this word. I can do this. And so, a few weeks later, the the parents came to collect the the children, and 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 I wanted to, as a joke, I wanted to to say that um, they were all spoiled. So I'm pointing at this group of children. And instead of saying mi mother, I said ma mother. So it's just one, one letter difference. So instead of saying <laughs> mi mother, I say mama. And what I was actually doing is I was pointing at this group of children and I was saying blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm in front of the mothers going blowjob, blowjobs, blowjobs, blowjobs. Blow <laughs> See this girl? <laughs> blowjob. The <laughs> they were, well, I mean, obviously they realized that I probably wasn't trying to say that but they were they were like looking at me like i'm sorry what? <laughs> so your school still survived after that it did right? it did thank god um thank god that the the people are forgiving <laughs> and the final bit in this segment we often ask about your favorite expression maybe in spanish that captures something that english doesn't have um well where where, where i live so I live in, in, in this place called Galicia, which is in the north of Spain. And it's, it's right on the border with Portugal. And so it's, you know, when people think of Spain, they think about like sort of flamenco and maybe sort of dry um, and like hot and sun and coast. Well, where I live is, is the opposite of that. So it's very mountainous. It's very green. It rains a lot. It's more like island but in Spain. Um, and, and in fact, 
some of the the people who who the original people who who settled here were, were Celts. So there's a lot of Celtic culture. Like for example, the local instrument mm. is bagpipes. So it's kind of weird, <laughs> right? Yeah, for it's sure. Kind of, it's kind of weird. So, but but one thing that they also have is they have that because of that they have that kind of Celtic self-deprecating kind of humor. And and so one expression they have here, which is which is from the local language, so it's not a Spanish thing, it's a Galician thing from the Galician language. They say malo sera. It's one word and it it, it basically means um shit happens. Basically. <laughs> so so you know if 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 something happens, you go, well, malo sera. Or <laughs> or if 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 somebody says, Oh, I, I wonder if it's going to rain at the picnic tomorrow, and you go, Well, malo sera. <laughs> and it kind of tells you a little bit about the culture, how it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit pessimistic, a little bit self-deprecating, but also there's like that kind of a little bit of humour as well. Mm. Yeah, and that's always I think the cool thing about learning learning a second language. You get those sort of idioms which often have like the culture embedded in them, which give you a deeper understanding, which is cool. Yeah, well, so tell tell me about a, a Thai expression. One that I like, it's like more of a proverb, is gam ki di kwa gam thot, which means a shit in hand is better than a fart. (laughs) 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 Which is always sort of very um, vivid sort of expression, but I like it. It always stays in my mind. (laughs) But I'm wondering... Isn't the opposite better? Oh, am I just... <laughs> yeah, I know. It's sort of a bit weird. But I suppose it's saying at least you've got something you can hold on to maybe. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than, you know, the fact you've got nothing. It's just, it's just air. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. So it's like the Thai equivalent of um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? It's... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, That's what God, I but... linked it up to. But it, it's a way more, I think, a more powerful expression than the bird <laughs> one. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> In its raining swear words and idioms, we find out our guest's number one expression or swear word in English. So, Christian, what are we going to focus on today? Swear word, idiomatic expression, or a bit of everything? Um, I, I think that I would like to use a kind of soft swear word. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, I, I think my, my favourite sort of soft swear word would probably be bullshit. <laughs> and and the reason that I like bullshit so much is because it's just so versatile. Um, you know, in, 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 one, in one way it means, um, it means like, like lying or, or deception. So, you know, you can say that the politician is, is talking bullshit. Um, you can also use it uh, to even talk about things that are really good, um, like you could say, "Wow, that is a that is a you know a, a bullshit Lamborghini," like it's you know like r- really really great, um, and yeah, it just it's it's and you can also use it like as an interjection, um, like if you I don't know maybe if you like hurt yourself or it's just um, I don't know. There's something about the sound of it I just love. Yeah, yeah, because definitely is a versatile word. I'd forgotten that. I don't. I haven't really used it as that in that positive way before. But yeah, it's definitely used that way. I remember in one of your videos, you sort of had a research paper about the different levels of swearing. 
if I remember correctly. Yes, yes. Where, um, where does bullshit fit on that one? <laughs> uh, it's not in the top 10. It's nowhere near the top okay. 10. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite a soft one, really. I mean, I'm not recommending that you use it, you know, that a student would, should use it like, um, like maybe in the office. Well, it depends what kind of work you do, but um, you know, it's it's still a it's still a, a a bad word, but it's definitely softer than than something that you might hear Samuel L. Jackson. Um, <laughs> <on> a, yeah, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, you could use it definitely with with friends. Um, yeah, bullshit is used quite often. Um, I don't know, is it an Australian one or you've got your wife's English, is she? Does it used a yeah, lot I, in England as well? No, I, I think I think it's probably I think it's probably a, a, a much more American American oh, swear okay. word. And I, I imagine that Australia adopted it, you know, because there's lots of crossover between American English and Australian English. Um, and I think I think Australians, you know, we adopted that word because you know, because um, it, it's it's just a great it's just a great word. <laughs> Definitely. So today we are not speaking any bullshit. Well, it's... hopefully not. <laughs> that's for that's for the listener to decide. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Our final segment in the red room is inspired by Twin Peaks. So Christian, can you give us a bonus expression, and we'll speed it up or slow it down? And the first listener to decode it and lead an audio comment on the podcast will get a prize. Okay, Christian, so what is your bonus expression? Um, my bonus expression is actually a word. It's a single word. And I've chosen this word because I love its history. And I love the way that words and language tell us about culture and history and, and everything. So, so this is a word that we have in English. It comes from French. And... If we think about the French culture, especially if we think in, in a, co- a comedic way about the French culture, the one thing that the French like to do is they like to strike. They like <laughs> to take industrial action um, and, and to, to basically to, to not work. They're, they're famous for this. And now if you, if you want to, if you're feeling angry, maybe you're angry for political reasons or military reasons or financial reasons, if you're feeling um, upset, then then what you want to do is you want to destroy things. You want to cause damage. You want to cause destruction. And so one way you could do that would be to destroy the maybe machinery at the company where you work, the machinery at the factory. And one way that you might destroy that machinery is by throwing things into it. Maybe you might throw a piece of metal, or maybe you might throw uh, plastic or liquids, or maybe you might even throw your shoe. Now, back in the, the olden days, back during the French Revolution, French people used to wear wooden shoes, which in English we called clogs, but in French they were called sabots. And these sabots, they would, they would throw them into the, into the machinery to destroy them, so that their employers would suffer and then they couldn't work. And so from, from that point on, the, the word to destroy machinery or cause damage or destruction for political or military or financial reasons is based on that, that word sabot. And the word is sabotage. <laughs> 
All right. Thank you, Christian. And thank you for giving your time here today, um, sharing your thoughts about learning and teaching languages. I, I think our listeners will get a lot out of this episode. Um, thank you very much for, for inviting me. Uh, I had a great time um, and, and, I, and I learned a lot. It was great to speak to, you know, another teacher who's, who's, who's having similar experiences and um, I agree, you know, it's, it's great to, to talk to people and, and this, this is how we learn, right? We hope you enjoyed the 10th episode with Christian. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment through the Anchor app or at English Riot. Also, head over to www.englishriot.com for bonus material. Finally, sign up for English Riot's e-newsletter, The Sledgehammer, to get access to monthly English learning tips. Well, that's it for season one of What The Beep. We hope you had a great listening experience and it's helped you smash down some language barriers along the way. See you in 2020. And remember, keep rioting.